This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Shoei, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. Oh my goodness, you guys, it has been probably, it's been close to a month since I have done this. And I got to be honest with you, it feels great to be back here, back with you, back on a regular routine. Thank you for those of you guys that hung in there during the three episodes. I kind of had to do a little bit out of sync and the last two that were very different in format. So I hope you kind of enjoyed that question and answer format. And I do want to point out that I don't know if you noticed that, but the audio, since I got the new computer was not very good. And that was my fault. That was because as I was setting up the everything on the new computer, I had one setting wrong and that gave it kind of an echoey, awful kind of clingy, like, I don't know, boxy sound. And ta-da, we're back to the regular audio. So again, I apologize for just the change in routine and the change in audio. Well, it has been a whirlwind of a month for me. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Uh, As I was preparing this and kind of thinking through all that has occurred over the past several weeks, there's just so much to catch up with you guys on. And we're going to actually start with a really long intro because the intro actually leads into the actual podcast. But before we do, rather than what I typically do, which is go in a long intro and then invite the Lord into the conversation, we're going to invite the Lord into the conversation and ask him to lead this early on and then we'll then we'll get to the intro, which will eventually lead to what we want, what we're going to talk about today, which I'm very excited to talk about. It's something that we all know we can quote the scriptures about it, but we're going to talk about in practicality how we how we actually deal with the topic and concept of forgiveness. So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for giving us life. Father, just the simple choice of being able to choose to belong to you. We thank you for this time together. And we thank you for creating your army of warriors that are out, Father, just being obedient lambs at your feet. And it's amazing how being a lamb also equates to entering into the battle. So, Lord, I just give this time to you. Father, I ask that this would be your time, your podcast. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me, Father, that these would be your words and that I would simply be the vessel that you use. Lord, I pray for anybody that's listening to this. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to them. And Lord, the message that you want them to hear would be what they would hear. Father, we love you and we thank you that we have access to such great opportunities to just grow in your word and grow in our faith in these in these days in which we live, access to your word and podcasts and Bible tools and so much. Lord, may we be good stewards of all the tools that you've given us to draw close to you and may we keep the main things the main things and use all these to, to know you more rather than just know more about you. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So much to update you guys on. So since this podcast, we have had the ladies retreat. It was an absolutely incredible weekend. We had a lot of fun. Uh, Look Up Lodge is a great facility for recreational stuff. So we got to do boating and paddling and there was a big gigantic swing that I figured out I'm way too old to be doing. (laughs) And we had time together around campfires, made s'mores, dealt with some uh, a hurricane but overall, just the time in fellowship and time together in God's Word was really refreshing. It was just wonderful to have so many of you guys come out. So for those of you that came, thank you for coming. We had ladies from the farthest away, South Dakota, Kentucky, 
Tennessee, Ohio, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. I know I'm forgetting states. Did I say Tennessee already? I did. So it was just a great group. Alabama, sorry. Don't want to forget Alabama. And it was just a great, great time, a great group of ladies. And we're looking forward to it. And believe it or not, Lena and I are already planning the spring retreat. So we're, we're looking at end of March and sometime in early April. So we will let you guys know when we have the dates for that worked out and location. We're, while we really enjoyed Look Up Lodge, we all kind of realized that some of the sleeping accommodations were probably a little bit a little bit different than what we would choose at our more fine age that we are. <laughs> so we're going to try to find a facility that has maybe slightly more comfortable accommodations, but you know, not that we're complaining about the accommodations we had. It was great for what it was, but we're going to try to find a location that has same similar type recreation options, but maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more e- easier to accommodate both dietary from a dietary perspective as well as from a sleeping arrangements perspective. But <clears throat> we'll keep you guys posted on that once we know more. And then I am excited to say that we raised two hundred and sixteen dollars for the charity for Frank. So for those of you that don't know, on Telegram, which is an app, it's it's a messenger app. It's not a social media app, so it doesn't work quite like social media. But essentially, I go in and I post messages in it. And in that app, there's a couple things we do. First of all, we do a weekly Bible verse, which is a wallpaper that you can download to your phone and save as your as your lock screen or as your home screen to help you memorize scriptures. We went through the book of Philippians. Now we're going through the book of Colossians. And just memorizing scriptures in sequential order as they make sense to memorize them. And Lena makes these beautiful wallpapers for us and we post them on there. And then Monday through Saturday, I post a scripture. And then Monday through Friday, Frank, who is a friend of mine that I met, he writes a, a little short devotional. That's a beautiful little devotional that he writes every day. And I put it in there as well. Well, Frank ends each of his devotions with Be Nice, Grace Wins. And so Lena created this really cute t-shirt for him that says Be Nice, Grace Wins. And we posted it up for sale and just told anybody, whoever buys this shirt in the month of September, <clears throat> all the proceeds from that will go to a charity. Well, so many of you guys jumped in and bought the Be Nice Grace t-shirts that we were able to donate $216 to the charity of Frank's choosing. And that was, we did that today. So we're really excited to do that. Thank you for those of you who've done that. And if you haven't seen the new stuff that Lena has created, there are now sweatpants, sweatshirts, so much cute stuff available on the website. Again, the whole point of it is for you to have Christian gear that you can use both to share your faith and it's cute and fashionable. I I love the Growing Your Grace and the Gather, the mushrooms design that she did. I'm kind of a mushrooms fanatic. If you follow me on social media, you'll see lots of pictures of mushrooms. I've, I've enjoyed the hobby of taking pictures of mushrooms as I'm out on the trails. I spend a good deal of time outside on trails. And so anytime I have free time, that's what I'm doing as I'm out on trails because I'm just an avid nature lover. And so while I'm out there taking pictures of waterfalls and trees, mushrooms have been kind of the other thing that I take pictures of. So that has been very exciting. And we are also going to finally do a Bible study. So we had been talking about it and I just looked at my schedule and realized I got way too much going on in fall. So we're talking, we're going to start it in the middle of January and we'll meet twice a month. Again, I wish we could do a weekly Bible study. I just cannot commit to that with everything else on my, on my plate. And we're going to go through Amir Safati's book, Revealing Revelation. And so 
If you are not on the mailing list, go on and subscribe because I'm going to send out an email blast about all the details once we get that up on the website and get that going. And that's that. It, the only cost to that is going to be your cost to purchase books, which I'll give you links to. I'm not going to do it through me. You'll do it yourself. You'll go buy the book and the workbook. And then there's a $10 administration fee that we have to put in there to help cover the cost of what it, what it costs to host a live Bible study because we'll be doing it through Zoom. So that way we can all see each other's faces and it be an interactive Bible study. So we'll be starting that in the middle of January. We want to get through the holidays and give everybody time to get it on their schedule. So that's kind of what's coming up in the Made to Conquer world. And then I just as a side note, and I don't have a bunch of details for you yet, but in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be launching a second podcast with my friend, Paul Bach and he Paul is a retired Green Beret and we met through TikTok. I actually came across his TikTok channel and I was blown away because I was like, here's a guy who actually understands doctrine and theology. He was just so rock solid. And as we've come to to chat, we realize that God has given us both the same heart and the same vision for just helping encourage and mature the body of Christ. And so Paul is actually going to be creating his own full-fledged podcast. But then what we're going to do is we're going to have a Friday morning podcast that we release. And we're going to be talking about a, a few current events that have occurred throughout the week. And, and then how that relates to how we should be living as Christians today. Because if you're following current events and you follow Amir Sarfati and Jan Markell and Barry, Pastor Barry and Pastor Mike and Pastor Jack Hibbs and all of these pastors that are really good about keeping us up to date, both on, you know, current events as they relate to biblical, but then how we should be, how we should be dealing with current events as the body of Christ. They're great, but what, what Paul and I really have a heart to do is, is help help you understand what this means for your day-to-day life as a believer. Because knowing, for example, that that the Nord Stream pipelines were destroyed and what that means for the winter in Europe that's coming up, and the fact that France is out of gas, OPEC has cut, you know, gas production, the fact that you know, they just announced a study where they essentially gave the formula for how to create an almost lethal Omicron virus. And several scientists worked on it and it was funded by by the NIH. Knowing these things is fine, but knowing what that means to us as believers is really the goal of what Paul and I are going to do. So it's going to be kind of a dialogue conversation where we bring up a few stories and then we get back to God's word and say, okay, this is what God's word says about these things. And this is what this means to our day-to-day lives as believers. And really understanding on a regular basis how to become radical Christians in these times and not accept anything less. And that's kind of been the theme of this podcast, but we're going to kind of take it to the next level. And I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing from Paul. He knows God's word very well, and he has just a a heart for the Lord. And he was also our guest speaker at our retreat and just came in. and, And as you know, it was funny because as Paul and I were communicating about having him come in, I wanted him to be a surprise to the, to the ladies and I wanted a soldier to come because what the Lord really was speaking to me about the, the, the women's retreat and the ladies retreat and the time that we were going to spend together is just to encourage people to be prepared for what's coming and not allow the circumstances that are coming to deter you from the mission that you're on. And Paul said something so profound. He said, the change in operating environment doesn't change the mission. In other words, our mission is the same, to go make disciples of all nations, to disciple the nations, to raise them up, and to prepare them for the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus. <clears throat> and, and 
just because our operating environment changes doesn't change our mission. And so that was just, you know, the Holy Spirit just spoke to Paul exactly what he needed to say. And he kept saying, what should I speak on? And I said, I'm not going to tell you. The Holy Spirit will tell you. You, sp- you figure it out. And sure enough, God spoke to him. And, and what he brought was absolutely beautiful. And then he closed with a beautiful saying that was supposedly found on the desk of a martyred pastor. And I posted that up on Facebook. And I also posted it in the Telegram channel. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful saying that I'm actually I should probably bring up and read in one of these podcast episodes because it was a great way to end the great way to end his message with us. So I'm looking forward to sharing more about that podcast when Paul and I have the details worked out right now. We're just working on getting it named, getting it set up. So I anticipate in the next couple of weeks, we'll have it up and running. We've already got the foundation. We've been talking about it for a while now. We just both had to wait till we got through the season. So talking about this season, oh my gosh, you guys, what a roller coaster of a past couple of weeks. Last week, I can say was probably the hardest week I've ever had to deal with as a human being. And I, and that doesn't mean it was the hardest thing I've ever dealt with, but it was the hardest week, just everything compounded. So I, you know, I had a, a, a business, I had a couple business trips that I had to take and I, they were conferences, which I love conferences because I've been in this business for 20 years. And so I, when I go to a conference, I get to see people that I've been working with in the industry for 20 years. And we're turning into those old farts that are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we've been doing these for so long. We were such kids when we got started. And, and I used to hear the other generations say this at conferences when I started going to them 20 years ago. And now I'm that person saying those things. And so it's always great, but it's always exhausting because these are really long days. And by the time I get back, I am worn out. And unfortunately, when I got back to my first trip, I woke up and I was sick. And it was just days before the, the, the ladies retreat. And I was just praying. And I was like, Father, I cannot, I cannot be sick. So by the grace of God, in two and a half days, I got rid, got rid of that cold, had the ladies retreat. And then the next day, got on an airplane and was out of town for a week for, again, another work conference. And I just kept telling myself, okay, if I, once I get back from that, I fly, I land Friday evening. When I make it to dinner Friday night with my husband, I have made it. I, I will have done. And then life gets back to normal. I knew that there was about a three and a half week period of time where it was going to be pure madness in my life. And I just had to get through those three and a half weeks. So we get to dinner and I sit down and I say, honey, this was the moment I needed to get to. And I can take a deep breath and I can relax. And he looks at me with that face that I knew, oh no there's something more. And he just says to me, Nano's not doing good. So let me tell you a little bit about Nano and why this was such devastating news. So as you guys know, I'm a barren woman. I've talked about that before, but God has been so gracious to me in that I have seven and a half. I have a niece on the way, seven and a half nieces and nephews. And so God, and I've been, I've been present for all but one of their births. That's because I was sick and it was t- during COVID and I wasn't allowed to come until we got a negative COVID test, which showed up, of course, two hours after her birth. But I've been present for all of their births. I've held them all. I've been an intricate part of their lives. And so I haven't really felt like I have missed out on much being uh, a barren woman. And one of the things that God gave me was this sweet little puppy dog that has been my constant companion for 13 years. So back in the summer of 2009, I had started taking up running and I decided I wanted a running buddy. So I went to the Humane Society and I walk in and I said, you know, I want a running dog. So they say, okay, well, we got to take you over here to the big dog section. And as we're walking to the big dog section, there's a little, there's like a little um, display of small dogs. And there was this little chihuahua in this cage, jumping, bouncing around like crazy, wanting to get out. And I looked at him and I was like, well, I'm not going to walk by this dog and not pet him. So I started, you know, petting him through the cage. And I said, let me just, let me just pet and play with him for a few minutes. And then we'll get to the big dogs. And so they say, okay, so they've got this pet room they take you into and they carry him out and put him on my lap. And he jumps up and starts kissing my face. And I was, that was it. I was, I was complete and total 
uh, it was a lost cause. That dog was going home with me. And so that was my Nano. So they neutered him that day. And the next day I came and picked him up and I named him Nano. He was all of five pounds his entire life. Just the, just the most adorable little thing. And he was my little buddy. We, he would run with me, believe it or not. Uh, the furthest we ever did was six miles and he had no problem. He used to hike with me. We went everywhere together. He slept with me. He was my buddy. He got me through divorce. He got me through breakups. And, you know, he knew when I was, when I was not well, he would cuddle up with me and just kiss me and, and we played and he was just, he was such an integral part of my life. And in 2011, I started working from home. So ever since I started working from home, I've always had somebody at home with me. And Nano has been at home with me. So my lunch breaks and my afternoon breaks were always around taking Nano out, going for a walk with Nano, spending time with Nano. And so he's just been a, an integral part of my life since I've had him. And I, um, and so when Ben looked at me and said, Nano's not doing too good, my heart dropped because I had been watching him decline. He, he has had, he's had, um, he's slowed down a little bit. He's always been a little spunky guy. And so, you know, he, we walk every morning. I get up first thing in the morning, go to the bathroom, get dressed. And Nano and I go for a walk and that's just been my routine. And then at lunch, I get to finish up what I'm doing at, um, from my desk and I go take Nano for a walk. And so it's just, he's been such an integral part of my life for so long, for 13 years. And I noticed he started slowing down, but we figured it was something going on with his teeth because he, Chihuahuas, I don't know if you know, the small dogs have to have their teeth cleaned. And so the last time I took him to get his teeth cleaned, he almost died. And so I just kind of said to the vet, look, I'm done. If he loses his teeth, he loses his teeth, but I'm not going to risk his life for his teeth. And so we'll just keep an eye on it. And so that was, it had been three years since his last dental and his, he had started to get like this terrible breath and he, he always had bad breath because he was a small dog, but it was like beyond bad. So I thought, okay, he must be having something going on with his teeth and he's struggling to eat. So Saturday morning, I went to the grocery store and I bought ground beef and I bought all the things that dogs love to eat and some broth so we could at least get some food in his body until we got his teeth addressed. I went to the vet first thing in the week when they opened up. The first appointment they could get me in was Tuesday morning. The vet says, yeah, he definitely has an infection in his mouth. That's probably what's going on. Let's give him, give him an antibiotic and here's some pain medicine and, and get him back to eating. Unfortunately, he stopped eating. And I um, didn't give him pain medicine immediately. They told me, wait till the evening and we just couldn't get him to eat. And so by Wednesday night, I was literally taking syringe with ch chicken broth and putting it in his mouth just to force him to get some food in his body. And Thursday morning, I was sitting outside doing my devotions and I got the call from the pet. They had done blood work on him and it came back that his kidneys had been shut down and they were really bad. His levels were really, really bad. And she just said to me, she said, there's no coming back from this and he's not going to eat anymore. And he's what you've been dealing with with the past couple of days is just going to get worse. And she says, you know what that means, right? And um, sorry, it's still emotional. It hasn't even been a week yet. So, you know, as I had been watching Nano deteriorate and I knew, you know, when you get dogs that there's going to come a day and there's going to come a time when, when they wear out and they wear out faster than we do. And I had just always just prayed one thing, Lord, just don't make me have to take him and put him to sleep of anything I ask of you. I don't want to have to be the one that has to put him to sleep. And it just let him die naturally, wake up. And so I don't, I don't want to have to be the one to do that. I just can't emotionally bring myself to do that. And literally I've prayed that probably for the past two years as I just kind of noticed little things happening. And I would just say, Lord, please. And she said, she, so she said to me, it's time. And she says, 
I'll let you decide when she said, but I'm going to tell you this when they're at this stage of, of health, it's never too soon, but it can be too late. And I knew then that I just had to make the decision. And I said, okay, let's do it today. And she said, okay, two o'clock, I'll see you guys. So I broke into hysterical tears and I ran inside and told my husband, I said, honey, we got the call and Nano's not going to, he's not going to get better. He's not going to bounce back from this. He's done. And we have to put him to sleep at two o'clock today. And so I did the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Oh, and, oh, and I forgot to tell you guys the main part of the story. I woke up Tuesday morning, the day that I had to take him to the vet with a fever and I was very sick. And so on top of all of this, I'm struggling just to get out of bed during the day because I'm extremely sick. I've been, I still to this day, it's been a week and I'm still running a fever. Um, you guys probably can tell a little bit, I'm a little bit congested. So I've been, and I'm on my third day of antibiotics and I'm finally just getting rid of that, the sinus infection, but I think I had a viral infection that turned into a sinus infection and I haven't been this sick in a long time. So on top of all of this, I'm sick. And, you know, typically I'm the kind of person who I can, I can pretty much rein in the extremes of my emotions. Um, the other time that I've been this extremely emotional was, you know, the only other time I've had to deal with tragic death, which is of my grandfather. And that's another story for another day. But even then, as long as I wasn't drinking alcohol, I could kind of keep the extremes in. It was hard and it was challenging. And I felt like, you know, my heart was being ripped out, but I was able to manage the emotion. In, in this case, because I've been so sick and I'm on so many just medications to just keep my temperature, my, my fever down and to just function throughout the day and, and, you know, decongestants, I just had no control over my emotions because I was so worn down by that point. So um, I had to do the most painful thing I've ever had to do. And I had to, to take this little, this little life that I have spent the past 13 years nurturing and loving and I had to carry him into a vet and I had, and I wasn't going to leave him alone until my husband and I are there. We're both hysterical crying. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I just kept saying, Lord, the one thing I asked you to never have to go through was to have to make this decision and be here for this. So we wrapped him up and we buried him. And I just sat there and I cried and it hurt so much. And as I went through that process and as I dealt with this pain, the Lord really, I really pressed into him and I said, you know, obviously we're not promised a pain-free life on the contrary, but father, you allowed me to go through this for a reason. So I wanted to understand it. And so there were four things I took away from this that I wanted to share with you guys today. And I apologize for how emotional I am. It's still very raw. It hasn't even been a week. And I go out to his little grave and, and I know it sounds stupid, but I still talk to him because I'm so used to having him around. And I know a lot of the time I spent talking to the dog, I now talk to the Lord and I'm sure he's kind of going, maybe we took the dog out of the world too soon. <laughs> but <clears throat> there were four things that I really took away from this that I felt the Lord spoke to me and I wanted to share them with you guys. Um, and I just wanted to say that as you're hearing this, some of you are, have gone through very painful things or some of you are going through very painful things and, and some of them, you know, losing a dog is trivial to what you're going to, through. Um, I've, I've had to hold girlfriends in my arms who had to say goodbye to their children, which is one of the most, I think, painful and horrific and traumatic things any human being could ever have to go through. Uh, some of you have lost family members, and obviously losing a family member is far, far more significant than losing a, a furry pet because you expect a furry pet to have to go at some point. And what's interesting is even though I've known for 13 years at some point I was going to have to say goodbye to him, I, I was unaware of how bad this was going to impact me. I honestly did not realize 
that for so many days and for so long afterwards, how hard it was going to be. I was actually shocked by my emotional reaction to this. So I wanted to just talk about this because whether you've gone through something painful, you're going through something painful, or you will go, you will go through something painful. I wanted to talk about the four things to take away from this. So the first thing I wanted to say is that Emotional pain is very real. I've, I've had a lot of physical pain in my life. I, you, all you have to do is look at my elbows and knees to see between mountain biking and running. I've done a tremendous amount of damage, but emotional pain hurts more than physical pain. I can tell you that uh, I, I crashed my mountain bike a couple of years ago and severely dislocated my shoulder. I had to hike a mile and a half down a hill. It took four hours by the time from the time I crashed to the time I got to the emergency room because of how far away we were and how long it took to get to the car and get the car to pick me up. And it was just a nightmare and it was excruciating pain because dislocated shoulders hurt very bad. And that was much more manageable because I knew that at some point I was going to get pain medicine and it was going to take the pain away, but there's no pain medicine to heal emotional pain. It just is what it is and you just have to kind of sit in it. And so pain, emotional pain is very real. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. I wanted to acknowledge for all of you who are suffering some sort of emotional pain, it is very real. And it's not something you can numb like you can physical pain. But the temptation is in that moment. And, and, and the temptation that the enemy really wanted me to do was to get angry at God for not answering my prayer. Why didn't you just answer the one prayer I had, which is why did I have to be the one to carry him in there? Why could he have not just died of natural causes? Why could I have not just woken up one day and there was Nana asleep and he just didn't wake up, right? And that is the temptation when we go through something difficult. It's a temptation is to get angry at God and push back at God. And I just want to warn you against that temptation because you can do one of two things in that circumstance. You can get angry and say, why God, why God? And it's natural to, to ask that question. It's natural to say, but why? <laughs> of all the things, why this? But what you can't let it do is cause a division between you and God. And you can either push into God in those moments or you can pull away from him in anger. And, <clears throat> excuse me, as I was praying through this, the Lord reminded me of the story of Job. And in Job chapter 1, we have this story where God gives Satan permission to do everything to Job but harm his physical body. And in, in a matter of moments, he finds out that he loses everything other than his wife. And it it. It starts off in Job chapter 1, verse 12. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing by and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. So he just lost all of his oxen and donkeys. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, so, I mean, this is boom, 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 boom. Okay, so you've just lost all of your wealth, essentially. Your bank account is empty, all right? Before that servant finishes telling him his bank account is empty, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, fire from God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. So your savings account is also gone, Job. Boom, just like that. Your bank account, your job's gone. Your savings account's gone. And it appears to be fire from God. Now, we know that it's not from the Lord. We know that it's from the enemy. But we can see what we see into this is a glimpse of how the enemy can attack us. But we also can see, I mean, how much he, I mean, when Satan is allowed to unleash, 
This is what it looks like. And what's interesting is if you read before, God, you know, Job says to God, well, the reason that Job loves you so much is because you put protection around him. You've blessed him. And so we get to also see this aspect of God does put protection around us and he does bless us, which is why I say in my other podcast that everything that comes into your life is father filtered. And so if it comes into your life, there's a reason. And so I knew, even though it was the most painful thing I've ever had to do, carry my dog into there and watch them inject him with a lethal fluid. It was father filtered. There was a reason why God had me in that room. And I may not understand that reason why, but it was, there was a legitimate reason. So verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came. So again, before the other messenger finishes telling him everything that's happened to a sheep, <clears throat> the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and made off with them. They took, they put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Everything is now gone from you, Job. Your house is gone. Your job is gone. Your, your animal, everything is gone from you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind, again, the enemy not only uses people against you, but he uses natural forces against you as well, swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they were dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. So Job has lost everything that means anything to him in a matter of moments, moments from one moment to the next. And that was that is just when you go through something this traumatic, when you lose somebody in your life or something like this, and you realize one moment is the separation, what separated life from death or pain from no pain or the terrible circumstances from the non, you, you tend to go, what's happening? In one moment, Job has lost everything. And this is what Job's response was. At this, Job got up and tore his robe. He shaved his head. So he he recognized that he was in pain. He recognized that he was hurting. Then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So the first thing that the Lord reminded me is that in these very painful things, in these things that don't seem to make sense, this side of eternity, we have a choice. We can fall in worship and recognize what Job did that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And we can worship and we can use this to press into him, or we can follow the temptation of the enemy and get angry at God and push him away because we don't like the way he's shepherding our lives. And that's what he's doing is he's shepherding our lives. There is a purpose for everything. Again, Romans 8, 28, and then the irony of this is that uh, we, Lane and I did the calendar last year, and we're going to be doing another one for 2023. And it's just an, a monthly calendar that you hang up on your wall with a picture and a scripture. And I had not changed my calendar over from September to October because I'd been out of the office and when I, and then I was sick in bed. And so I wasn't really able to change it. And then the first day that I, I got back to work, which was the day after I'd put Nana to sleep last week. I was like, okay, it's finally time for me to change to October because it was the 12th or excuse me, the 13th, sorry, the 14th of October. It took me to the 14th of October to switch it over in the scripture for the month of October. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That was the scripture that greeted me when I finally sat down at my desk and had to deal with everything that was going on. I was still sick and I was also grieving the loss of my, of my companion and realizing I'm home alone for the first time in my life. I have to work a full work day without having any, anybody else in the house and without having my regular routine. And, and what does that even look like for me now? But as God is using these things, 
he's preparing us for what's coming. He's, he's working th- things out of us. He's getting us ready. We are entering into, and this is why I'm excited about having a podcast with a, with a, a soldier. <laughs> we are entering into a battle, you guys. The world is going to change dramatically. And what we were able to put rest and faith in and hope in and look at our bank accounts and look at the roof over our head and look at the food in our pantry, those things are slowly going to disappear over the next few years. What is occurring in the world, what is occurring in our economy is going to dramatically change the operating environment for us. And we have to be prepared to be strong and steadfast in the Lord regardless of those things. But he's going to send us to boot camp and then he's going to send us to training before he puts us on the battle lines. And it would not be doing a soldier, it would be doing a soldier a disservice to take him, say, oh, thank you for signing up for military duty. Here's your gun. Here's your uniform. Go, to, go talk to your commanding officer. You'll be deployed next week. That would kill everybody. on the, As soon as they get to the battlefield, they wouldn't last a day because nobody would know what to do. Boot camp and training and all of these things are preparation so that way when a soldier gets to the battlefield, they are prepared to do what they need to do to carry out the mission successfully. And so these things are God's way of preparing us. They're the boot camp. They're the training. They're the things that we have to happen in order for us to be who God has designed us to be and to walk through the path that he's designed us to walk through. And so we get to decide, like Joe, what we're going to do. The other thing, so that was just, that was point number one. (laughs) I promise we're going to get to the podcast. (laughs) The second thing that I took away from this is just letting the letting the reality of sin settle with me because as i looked there at that little dog and i realized that if man had not rebelled against god and if we had obeyed him and not eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil then the tree of life would still be accessible to us death and pain and suffering and everything that is a consequence of our rebellion to god would not exist and so i sat there and i was in that pain because we ultimately as humans rebelled against god and my little dog had to pay the price for that, as did the thousands of lambs and rams and goats and heifers that have been sacrificed, and the blood of the the most precious blood that's ever been spilled, the blood of the lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus our Savior, because of the reality of sin. And sometimes I think we take sin too lightly, and actually as we get into the topic of forgiveness, forgiveness and sin are closely related, and we're going to talk about that when we get into the topic, but... Because sin is so normal, sometimes I think we forget how dangerous and deadly it is. And the Bible just teaches whoever sins is a slave to sin. And so we all have, you know, there's kind of two, and we could go into a big theological doctrinal discussion between transgression and sin and willful sin and accidental sin and all of these things. But there's, just to keep it simple, we either sin by mistake because it's just, there's something in our nature we've not dealt with. So we're driving and somebody cuts us off and, you know, we respond and react out of fear and we say something unloving, unkind, or, and, and it exposes within us this part of us that needs some maturing, some spiritual maturity. Oh, that, ooh, wow. <clears throat> I still have some ugly in me that needs to be dealt with if that is my natural reaction. And then we have those sins where we know what we're doing is wrong, but we just justify it. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Or did God really say, and it's just this one more time, just this one more time. But what we, what we, don't understand is that whoever sins is a slave to sin. That one more time is not one more time. That's the lie that you're telling yourself to make yourself feel better about the fact that you are about to willfully disobey God. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. And this is what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8, but we are no longer slaves to sin because we are not living for the flesh. We are now living by the Spirit. And we need to have a radical approach to sin. That pain, I needed to sit in for a minute to remember how dangerous 
detrimental, deadly sin actually is. And it shows up in a lot of different ways. It shows up in a, it, it rears its ugly heads in a lot of different ways. And so that was another thing. And it, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I probably talk about it more than I should, but not enough, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I, I love it. <clears throat> I'm continually reading through the, the books and I love the movies and I have, if you saw my office, I have Lord of the Rings stuff everywhere. And if you saw my body, I have Lord of the Rings stuff everywhere. <laughs> but one of the things about that movie that just drives home our nature so much is Frodo standing at Mount Doom. And here, the whole, all three, <clears throat> nine hours of film have brought us to this one moment where finally Frodo can rid himself forever of the ring and its evil. And instead he says, yeah, you know what, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> And that causes a big fight with him and Gollum, and he almost loses his life in the process, and Sam has to come rescue him from the cliff. Pointing this, we do that with sin a lot. God gets us to this point where the Holy Spirit is shepherding us and bringing to our attention, and we know that what we're doing is wrong and it needs to end, but we keep lying to ourselves, and then we stand there like Frodo, and we're so close to finally being rid of that one thing in our lives. We say, you know what, actually, now that I'm here, maybe I don't really want to throw it into the fire. Let's not be Frodo. The third thing that I realized is how bittersweet the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is. In other words, we have this propensity as humans to want to be like God. It's the same said that Satan had, right? And we want to be the God of our own lives. It's, it's, that's really what sin is. is sin is saying, you know, God, I don't really want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And when you're standing there in that moment, and you're the one responsible for having to take the life of an innocent little being. It is the most horrific feeling ever. And what I settled with as, as I've gone through this process is just praise you, God, for being God. <laughs> praise you for being all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. And for being the creator of the universe. And that life and death does not have to rest in my hands. It rests in your hands. And that there's a higher power, a higher authority. And when you're standing there and you're, you realize how frail we are as humans, we like to think we're so powerful. We really do. We have this inflated sense of ourselves. And while we do have to take our, our life serious and our responsibilities very serious, we're not God. We don't have the power of God. We don't have the mind of God. We don't have the, the control, the love of God. But yet somehow we want to have the decision-making power of God until we're in those moments when we're helpless. Then all of a sudden we want the all-powerful God in the equation. And as I sat there and, and I had to deal with this situation, I praise God that I am not responsible for life and death, that I don't have to make these decisions, and I never want to make that decision ever again. It was the grossest feeling ever because I can't see the beginning from the end. I don't know all things, and I don't want to be responsible for the life of another human being or the life of another creature ever again because it is more than I can bear. But praise God that Jesus bears that for us and that, that that becomes so real when we think about the lives of the people around us and when we think about you know one of the one of the issues that comes up a lot in the issue you know issue of abortion is what right do you have to take the life of another human being and then that brings up the more morality question but what what right does god have and one of the things that frank turk points out a lot when he when he talks about this issue is that god can create life and so it's not immoral for the one who can create life to take life because he understands all things. You cannot create life. 
only God can create life. And you can engage in activities that would would create life, for example, intercourse between yourself or if you breed animals, for example. But ultimately, God is the one who creates life. And as a result, he can he can morally take life because he has the ability and he has the moral right as the creator to do that. We do not as fallen beings. And so in that moment where I had an overwhelming burden of what felt like life and death in my hands, and it really wasn't, it was ultimately God's God, God knew he knew my puppy's body and he wanted me to have to walk through this for a reason. And I may, you know, some of these things are the things that I'm talking about with you. And some of these things are maybe reasons I'll understand later in, you know, some point in time, but I just, I rested in the fact that there is a God, that there is, that he is not only the supreme creator, but he's good. He is good. And we can rest in that. And then the fourth thing I took away from this is as I was sitting in this pain and as I was enduring this, I realized that as much as I love my dog and as painful as it was, the love I have for the human beings around me is so much greater. And the loss, the sense of loss for any human in my life would far exceed what I felt with my dog. And if what I felt with my dog is a drop in the bucket compared to the life of the people around me, I need to take seriously their eternity. Because here's the thing, for the past you know, several years as I've watched the decline of Nano, I knew I was going to have to say goodbye to him at some point, right? And no amount of knowing something can prepare you for what it's actually like. Like I, like I said, I was caught off guard by how emotionally this rocked me. And so while I can sit here and talk about the people in my life who don't know Jesus, and I can say, you know, I'm going to pray for them. And I really, and I, and I really, it would be very sad if they chose not to follow Jesus. Very sad is not the right word. And I think I've, I undermined and I under, and I, and I diminished what the consequences for not following Jesus are, be it missing the rapture and having to live through the tribulation or missing the Lamb's book of life and having to live through the punishment of not choosing Jesus. And when I sat in that pain for a moment and I thought, what about the people in my life who I love dearly, who don't know Jesus? If this is how it feels to be separated from my dog, eternal separation from the people I love will far exceed this. And it lit a fire in me that I think only this much pain could have lit to pray like I've never prayed before and be so keenly aware of the Holy Spirit moving in situations in the lives of the people around me because I don't want to feel that way about a human being because they chose not to follow Jesus. I want to be like Paul said, where when someone who we love falls asleep, we don't mourn their eternity. We mourn the loss of their companionship on earth, but we rejoice because we know that they're in a better place. That can't be said of the unsaved. And so it, it, it brought to life the reality of how painful that separation is going to be for those that don't know the Lord. And I don't want to have to experience that knowing that I did not do, do everything the Lord had called me to do for these people in my life. And what does he call us to do? He calls us to pray and fast for them. He calls us to, to plead. I mean, I love, you know, the, the, the thing that the Lord brings back to my mind is the parable of the relentless woman. And so in this parable, Jesus talks about this woman who goes to a wicked king and says, grant me mercy from my adversary. Grant me mercy from my adversary. 
And the wicked king told her no and no. But she showed up day after day after day after day until finally he said, I will not get any peace till this woman goes away. So finally he did what she asked just so he could have peace. And Jesus says, if that wicked king did that, imagine how much more so your heavenly father who loves you. And so we need to be like that woman who who is relentless before the throne of the Lord, who prays and fasts and genuinely fasts and and says, Lord, show me what it must, show me what I can do. How do you want me participating? Holy Spirit, flow through my life. Do what it must, what must happen for these people to come to the knowledge of you so that they do not have to be eternally separated because I don't want to have to experience that type of loss for a human being. So those are kind of my four big takeaways from what I've, what I've gone through over the past week dealing with the loss of my dog. And I know that seems like a lot, but if God didn't answer my prayer to abdicate me from the responsibility of having to take my dog in, then there was a reason why he wanted me to go through it. And these may be the four reasons and there may be more that he shows me later. It doesn't matter. But what matters is that I'm not going to allow what God has allowed me to go through to go to waste in my life. And I hope that you don't either. So with that said, <laughs> what, what leads us to our conversation today was actually a, a, one of my girlfriends called me because she needed to talk about something. And a couple of years ago, she had a family member that she took care of for many years and had actually sacrificed much of her own personal life to, to care for this family member and, and, and an elderly family member that needed some help. And she, it, you know, the family member just kind of said, look, I don't have a, a bunch of money to leave an inheritance, but because of all the sacrifice that you made, you know, when I divvy up the inheritance between you and your your other family members who are living, I'm going to make sure you're compensated for the time that you've sacrificed taking care of me. And this, and, and her family member eventually passed away. And unfortunately, unbeknownst to her during this time, one of her other relatives who was set to inherit some of the uh, some of the inheritance did some sneaky stuff and ended up taking most of what my girlfriend thought she was going to end up getting. And this was several years ago. This was a while ago, but she's watched this other family member who she's had a very strange relationship with and does not know the Lord flourish because they had, they kind of, they kind of got this, this lump sum of money and were able to do some things with it that she wasn't able to do. And meanwhile, she's kind of struggled to take care of herself because so much of what she gave up prevented her from being able to excel in her own life. And so as she's struggling right now, she's just very angry and resentful at the situation. But the difference is she's a Christian and she has matured tremendously throughout her lifetime as a result of walking with the Lord and some of this, some of this trauma that she's gone through. And in fact, this family member that took stuff from her is, is just not a, is not just not a, happy person or a pleasant person or just this person really struggles to to be content and has had a lot of issues even though on the surface everything looks good you know they have more money than she does and they have more stuff than she does but if you take that surface level off and you look at it they're not as well off as she is and she was just calling me because she's really struggling with some stuff right now and she's just angry and she just said, you know, it's so I'm so I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of watching this person thrive off of what should have been mine. 
and and we, we were we were just kind of talking and i said you know let, I, I said so basically what you're telling me is it's like you spent all of your high school years saving up for a car so that way when you got out of school and you were ready to go to work you had a, a car that could get you to and from work and when it came time for you to graduate and go buy the car somebody stole the money out of your bank account they bought the same car you wanted to buy and you have to now walk to work and while you're walking to work they drive past you every day in the car that was supposed to be yours with your money and you're really frustrated by it. And the person was like, that is exactly how I feel. How did you know? And I said, let, let, let's, let's look at this next layer. Well, you're walking to and from work and weathering the storm and dealing with the circumstances. You become a strong, beautiful person. You can walk. You can endure anything. You've gone through boot camp. You've gone through training. You can, you can be thrown into any circumstance and you become a strong person as a result. That person that sold from you grew no character, didn't develop into anything. And while you were getting fit and strong, they were getting lazy and complacent. And I said, so you might look at them in their car and wish you had had that car, but look at who you became as a result of what you've gone through versus who they became as a result of what they did to you. And we started talking about forgiveness and this concept of forgiveness. And, and I think sometimes we hold on to unforgiveness for a lot of different reasons partially because we don't understand what we've been forgiven of, partially because we don't know how to forgive, but partially because we feel like forgiving somebody is letting them off the hook. It's condoning or somehow endorsing what they did. But none of those things are true with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying what you did is okay. Forgiveness isn't saying that I have to allow you to do these things to me again. No. Forgiveness is just saying I'm not going to carry what you did any longer. I'm going to be done with it. And as we talked about this, I, I realized, you know, and, and we started thinking, you know, after, after this conversation her and I had and hopefully gave her some perspective on be grateful. There was a reason why God allowed that to happen. And there's a reason why you've had to go down the journey you've had and look at who you've become. And you would be your family member if this had not happened to you. You would be that same person. You know, I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about who I would be apart from Jesus. And I know when I look back at my life before I started seriously walking with the Lord, I've hurt some people in my life. Some of it was intentional. And, you know, you don't mean to intentionally like severely hurt somebody, but sometimes you want them to know. I want you to feel the pain that I feel, right? So there's that kind of some intentional vindictiveness. But the vast majority of pain and suffering I've caused people in my life have been, has been unintentional. And sometimes that unintentional was just ignorant. I was just ignorant to the consequences of my decision. Or I was doing something selfishly, and it, my intention wasn't to hurt the person. My intention was to, to take care of myself. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. It just is what it is. Sometimes I was just unaware just unaware of <clears throat> what the ramifications of what I was doing, or I just didn't have enough social awareness or self-awareness to be aware. And so I've hurt a lot of people unintentionally. And I've hurt a lot of people that, you know, it's, it was interesting because I had a, a situation happen years and years and years ago at work, years and years and years ago. And I, it was an observation I made. And I sent an email to a colleague of mine to say, look, I made this observation and this colleague forwarded it to our boss and the observation was about a, a team member of mine who was a very close girlfriend. And it wasn't, it wasn't about her in particular. It was about her department. 
And it wasn't intended to be disparaging or anything of that nature. I was just making an observation. And I was too young and, and dumb at the time to understand that you don't put certain things in writing and emails, right? I was just, oh, look what I found and didn't think anything beyond the implications of just sending the initial email. And when our boss got it and sent it to her, her initial reaction was, I've been betrayed by Tiana. And she literally pulled me aside in an office, uh, used every four-letter word on the planet, and disavowed me and has never spoken to me since. And this was probably close to 15 years ago, if I had to guess, about 15 years ago. And <clears throat> because we're in a small industry, to this day, I found out, because another one of my colleagues um, used to work with her, as of just a few months ago, she was still talking about how much she hated me 15 years later. And that was one of those times I look back and it was purely an innocent, I, I innocently, naively hurt her. I had no intention for what I put in writing to, to hurt her at all. And if I had known, I never would have done it, right? So sometimes the things we do are unintentional, but I look at now who I am becoming in the Lord and as long as I stay obedient to the Father and plugged into the Spirit, while I may hurt people because they don't want to hear the truth that God has to speak to them, that's a different story, I should not be sinning against them. I should be loving them. And, and, the, and my propensity to hurt people should decline significantly from the perspective of selfish or ignorant hurting people. Now, that doesn't mean that, they're not, that I'm not going to speak inconvenient truths to, into their lives that the Holy Spirit has to use. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these, these things that I did before Christ that hurt so many people were a result of my, my ignorance, my rebellion towards God, and my lack of maturity as a person and spiritual maturity as a Christian. And so <clears throat> as we go through this subject, you know, I, I, I looked at, who I would be if God had not begun to do a work in my life. And I don't like what I would have become. I don't like who I don't. When I say I don't like who I am, I, I mean that in the sense of I don't like this, the sin that God is still dealing with me. I, I, I you know, the, the fleshly part of me, I wish didn't, didn't exist from the battle of sin. I don't like that. I love, I love, you know, that, that God has created me and called me and, and, and I'm not, not the self-love stuff, but this, this appreciation for who God has made me is very different than saying I condone the sin in my life. I don't, I hate that part of myself, but I certainly do not, do not want to go back to the kind of selfish, reckless life I lived before the Lord. And so as we go through this, one of the most important things to remember is who we would be apart from Christ. And I promise you, it's not pretty. Because all you have to do is look at what's happening to our world and our civilization right now and understand that when you're not living for the Lord, you are living under the kingdom of the enemy. And that is death, destruction, and thievery. That's all you can be capable of doing. Yes, you might have the pretense of doing some good things. And some good things are done as Satan masquerades as an angel of light. But when, we get into the, when you get into the book of Revelation and you read... The world is going to think that this Antichrist and this one world government and this new religion and this one world payment system and all these things are good, but behind them are death, destruction, and lies. And so Satan, the, the world's best still has at its core death, destruction, and lies. And that doesn't mean that it can't do some temporary surface level good, but it will never do the true kind of cleansing, deep good and healing that only God the Father can do. And so that's the thing is we, we have a, a skewed definition of what good is because of the masquerading of good. And I'm not saying, again, there are some, there are some secular people who feed the poor. 
The Christians should be doing that. And the idea comes from the Bible because God is the one who teaches us to take care of the poor. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing and that when somebody who's secular feeds the poor, that it is not blessing them. But what I'm saying is that it, it is a totally different thing when, when a child of God obeys God and feeds the poor than when somebody under the influence of the enemy does it because they've, they've got this, this pretense of what good is because Satan is, is an angel masquerading as an, is, is darkness masquerading as an angel of light. But before I keep on rambling, let's get into the scripture that best describes this and talks about this, because this is really going to be the foundation from which we talk about today. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story, and this is the story that we're going to use to talk about why forgiveness is so important, what forgiveness really means, and why we need forgiveness in our lives. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, he says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. So Peter's like seven because seven is the number of completion, right? Seven days in a week. Seven means it's done. And Jesus is like, <laughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, Peter, way more than that. And he says in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So first thing to note is that the person asking for forgiveness had something to be forgiven. Forgiveness only exists if somebody has done something against you. You can't forgive what hasn't been done to you right? So the first thing to understand about forgiveness is that there's a debt that has to be paid. The second thing about forgiveness is that the king doesn't say your reckless spending of this $10,000 is acceptable. Instead, he looks at him from a place of pity and says, you know what? Out of pity, out of kindness, I'm going to cancel the debt and just let you go. And it's all going to be washed away. That doesn't mean that I'm going to loan you $10,000 again. That's not what this says. This just says, I'm going to, I'm going to have pity on you and I'm going to let you go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him. So his fellow servants, not a subservient servant, a fellow servant, he owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, a hundred silver coins is a big difference between 10,000 bags of gold. Think of it this way, $10,000 versus 10 bucks. Okay. So this, this servant had $10,000 debt forgiven of him. And he goes and he says to his servant, to his fellow servant who owed him 10 bucks, he says, he grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is one of those parables that will get you to the core if you're paying attention to what Jesus is saying here. 
What Jesus is saying to all of us is that God the Father is so gracious to you because you have a huge debt that you owe him. And that debt cost him everything. It cost him the life and death of his son. Jesus hung on that cross because of your $10,000 debt. When you choose not to forgive another human being for something they've done to you, you're, you're missing a couple things. First of all, you're missing the perspective of how what they've done to you is so small compared to what you've done against me as your father. Now, all of you may hear this and you may instantly go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if somebody murdered a family member of mine? Or what if somebody stole a bunch of money from me? I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen anything. Let's just stop that thinking right now. Because Jesus teaches if you've hated somebody, you've murdered them. If you've looked at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery. According to God's perfect law, the sinful thoughts you've had, the fantasies, the lust, the anger, those dark moments, those are equal to sin in God's eyes. Whether you've actually acted them out doesn't change the fact that they exist in your being. You are no less guilty than a murderer or a thief. When it comes to God's perfect standard, that doesn't mean you're going to be judged the same. And that doesn't mean that God isn't going to have different, we have different rewards for our work. But what that does mean is that before God, your guilt is equal. And because all human beings have sinned and fallen before God, you do not have the right to hold somebody else to a higher standard than God has held you to. And that is the heart of this parable. So the first thing that we have to take away from this is to truly recognize who we are apart from the Lord. I had to, as I was having this conversation with my girlfriend, I had to look at myself after this and, and, and think about who I am apart from Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you who I am. I am a rotten, adulterer, fornicating, thief, murderous, hateful person apart from who Jesus is transforming me into by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us are guilty of this in some capacity. And so the minute that I believe that I do not have to forgive somebody else for what they've done against me, I forget so quickly who I am and where I've come from. But don't worry, Paul reminds us. So we're going to go to Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one righteous, meaning somebody who does the right thing all the time. That's what righteous is, doing the right thing. There was no one who does the right thing all the time, not even one. There was no one who understands. There was no one who seeks God. What does Philippians tell us? It is God who, who, who causes you to both will and to do according to his good purpose. If it wasn't for the Lord drawing you, you wouldn't be out there going, you know, I think I need a God to clean up my life right now. All have turned away. All together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Verse 13, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are, their feet are swift to shed blood. They ruin and misery, sorry, ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then going down in, in Romans chapter 3, continuing verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by grace 
through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is reminding us is what Jesus taught us there, that, that God looked at your debt and he said, you know what? I'm going to have pity on you. I'm going to have mercy on you. It's gone. It's done. It's washed away in the name of my son. But if we, we cannot forgive, we will be incapable of forgiving the way that we are called to forgive from our hearts, as Jesus said. If we can't look ourselves in the mirror and have an honest conversation with ourselves about who we are apart from Christ and our, our condition apart from Christ. So that is the first thing that we've got to take away from that. So the second thing we've got to take away from is our need to repent and ask for forgiveness. Now, the good news is the Bible has so many great promises on this, and we're going to cover just two of them. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John reminds us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just as we saw in that parable of the servant when he begged the master for forgiveness, what did he say? I will have pity on you and your debt is gone. It's gone. It's wiped from the ledger. That $10,000 you owed me is no longer there. The book of Psalms says it this way in Psalm 103, starting in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And here's the main one, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, why the east and the west, not the north and the south? Because there's a North Pole and there's a South Pole and the North and the South eventually meet. There is no East Pole or West Pole. They never meet. The East never meets the West. It is gone forever. So when we come before the Father and we repent and we say, you know what, this thing I hate, I don't want it in my life, forgive me and take it from me and make me clean and teach me what it means to be righteous and teach me what it means to never do this. And Holy Spirit, do not allow me to fall back into this sin and, and deal with this part of unrighteousness in me. I have sinned against you and only you have I sinned against. And Jesus, this is why you had to pay such a heavy price because we are so rebellious in our nature. When we confess that he's faithful and just to forgive us and our sin's gone. You can't forgive until you are forgiven. And when you recognize what you are forgiven from and you sit and you go, that $10,000 debt is gone. It's gone. I don't have to carry the dead bodies. I don't have to carry my mistakes. As Paul said, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead. I don't have to carry that anymore. It's gone. It's done. In God's eyes, it's not there. We're done. We're done with it. It will be hard for you, if not impossible, to truly forgive other people until you sit in the forgiveness that God has given you. And when that dawns on you, when you realize what God has given to you and what he has forgiven you of, then looking your fellow brother and sister in the eye, looking the other person next to you who is just as guilty as you are and saying, you know what? It's done. It's gone. It's forgotten. Again, that doesn't mean in certain circumstances they ever have to come back into your life again. Some people have committed such atrocious sins against us that we forever need to be separated from them. Cases of sexual abuse, abuse in general. It's okay to say I forgive you, but I'm never going to give you permission to come back into my life. Forgiveness is not condoning the behavior. It's being done with it. It's wiping it off and saying, you know what? God has forgiven me. Therefore, I will forgive you. I'm not carrying this dead body around any longer. I had a situation where I, I struggled to forgive. And, and sometimes every once in a while, I find myself going back and digging up the, the corpse of the past. And the Holy Spirit goes, well, we, 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 we moved way past this. But I had a situation where I was wronged by somebody for a, an extended period of time. It was, it was a, a very ongoing situation 
and it really scarred me deeply. I mean, it hurt me very deeply and it cost me very deeply and it, it, it cost me financially. It cost me emotionally. I, I mean, just, just reputationally that this person did a lot of harmful things to me, um, talked about me, bashed me, belittled me, berated me, talked down to me, stole from me. I, I mean, you name it all. I, I dealt with this for an extended period of time. And it took me a really long time to forgive this person. I, there was this anger. I wanted this person to pay. I wanted this person to feel what I felt. And I, I went to a church service and the pastor just said, I, I just feel like there's some people in the congregation who are struggling with forgiveness. If you're struggling with forgiveness, stand up and let's just pray for you. And, I, and it, was, it was humbling, but I stood up and I was, I was one of those people. And he prayed. And, and in that moment and after that teaching, I really, this parable set in for me and I realized part of why the Lord allowed me to endure this for so long is because I had that same those same characteristics in me and I would have been that person I would have treated other people in my life exactly like that person treated me had I not gone through that and I needed to look at what the manifestation of who I could become I needed to look that in the face every day for years on end I dealt with this and that was what allowed me to understand how much I'd been forgiven of and to forgive this person and say, you know what? This person was acting just like I used to act. <laughs> Doesn't mean what they did was okay, but what I did was not okay, but God forgave me of it too. And who am I to hold this person to a higher standard than God held me to? And when I finally understood that, I was finally able to forgive this person. And every once in a while, the enemy wants to bring it back up. And I want to go, but you're And then the Lord goes, no, that's gone. That's done. Remember? Forgetting what is behind. But praise God that you did not become that person and harm people the way that that person has harmed so many other people. And I know this person has harmed many other people because many, this, this person has left many other corpses in their, in, in their wake. And this person had the capacity to do a lot of great things, but chose instead to hurt people. And I praise God that, that he rescued me from myself so I did not become that person. And I, and I pray that I never become that person. And while this person hurt me a lot, how, who am I to hold this person to a higher standard than God holds me to? So the first thing we have to do is just recognize who we are apart from Christ. The second thing we have to do is repent and ask for forgiveness for our own sins. Allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us. And then the third thing we have to do is just forgive other people. We have to forgive them. We have to let it go. We have to decide that for the rest of our lives, people are going to hurt us. As long as we live in a world filled with sinners, we are going to be sinned against. But we are always going to approach those situations with the love and the grace that Jesus has shown us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we were had gotten our lives together and decided to follow him. He died for us way before we decided to follow him, way before we knew we needed him. Jesus said, my disciples will be known by their love. Well, what does that love look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, love is patient. Another translation says, long-suffering. Love is kind. It does not boast. It does not envy. It is not rude. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It does not dishonor others. It is not 
self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Our responsibility is to go into a lost and dying world and show them what it looks like to be forgiven and to forgive. To show them what it looks like to be in the arms of a father who is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not rude, is not proud, does not dishonor, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of our wrongs, does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, who always protects us, always trusts, always hopes us, always perseveres, and never fails us. What greater testimony do we have than the testimony of one who says, I have been forgiven and you can be forgiven too. It doesn't matter what you've done. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. So I just want to encourage you today, whether you have ever had to have something major to forgive somebody, we all have, I know we have. <laughs> if you're breathing right now, you've had somebody do something wrong to you. Or whether that comes in the future. That I want to encourage you to be rest in the forgiveness you have in Jesus. Rest in the wholeness. Allow the Lord to transform you. Deal radically with sin. And show that same grace and mercy that God showed you to your fellow brother and sister. And do not hold people to a higher standard than God held you to. In closing, we're going to read from Psalm 51. And I love this because this is David's psalm after the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, Hey, so Duvi. Duvi is uh, how you'd say the nickname for David in Hebrew. So let me tell you the story about this shepherd. He had all these sheep. And over there, his neighbor just had one little tiny sheep. And this greedy shepherd said, I want that neighbor's sheep. So he went and sold the sheep. What would you do to that man? David was like, no. I would. How dare he? He had all these sheep. Why would he take the one sheep from the neighbor? And he goes, huh, kind of sounds like a lady named Bathsheba and Uriah. Because you decided to commit adultery and murder another man's wife, the baby that Bathsheba carries is going to die. And so this was David's response in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your faith from my sin. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David reminds us that we're rotten through and through from the beginning, but God's standard has always been perfection. And that when we, when he blots out our transgressions, then we can go to sinners and say, look, there's a better way. There's hope for you. So I just want to close in prayer and invite you in this moment as you're hearing this, if you are holding on to any resentment or unforgiveness, even for yourself, un- unwilling to forgive some of the mistakes you've made, mistakes other people have made, that in this moment you be set free from that. And this becomes your testimony in the way that you help other people who are dying in the bondage and slavery of sin to be set free too. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so gracious and merciful, that your standard is absolute perfection and that you provided that perfection. Jesus, we thank you for being the perfect, the perfect sacrifice in the covering for all of us. Father, we come before you and we recognize that, oh, how we long to be holy as you are holy and to be righteous before you. But Father, how far we have fallen from that. So Father, we come before you and we confess our sin. We confess that Wickedness swells within us, and we hate these parts of ourselves. But Lord, by your spirit, we can be set free, and we can learn to live by your spirit. So forgive us now. Cleanse us. Wash us. Make us white as snow. Blot out our transgressions. And Father, may we stand before you clothed in the righteousness that Jesus bought us on the cross, free from sin, and rejoicing what you've given us. Father, we just pray for those that have sinned against us. Lord, we ask that you would forgive the unforgiveness in our hearts, that you would teach us to forgive those around us, teach us to love and to pray for our enemies, and teach us to take the debts that others have caused against us to be an opportunity to show them your grace. Instead, take this story and turn it on its head and let it be an opportunity for us to show how good you are and how gracious you are. Teach us to forgive and help us to forgive those who have sinned against us, Father. And teach us what it means to forgive from our heart. Let us be people who are free, free from sin, free from the the bondage of unforgiveness, and free from all of the things that Satan would drag us down and that our flesh would drag us into. And instead, may we live in the freedom that you gave us. It is for freedom you set us free, Jesus. And may we understand what that freedom means, Not, not just in the menial ways, but in the deep spiritual ways. Father, set us free from sin, set us free from these things so we may be just bringing you glory through our testimony and through the stories we share of what Jesus did for me. Jesus set me free. 
So, Father, I pray for everyone listening to this right now. Holy Spirit, that you would just touch them and do a radical transformation in their lives. We thank you so much for your forgiveness. We thank you that we can come before you and just be honest with you about everything that we're dealing with. We thank you we can bring our pain to you. We thank you that we can bring our fears and our, and our failures and our, our carries, our, our concerns and our worries and give them to you, Lord. We pray for the lost and dying world out there, Lord. You have put everybody in our lives because you want us to influence them. And so, Lord, we pray for those that are lost in our lives right now that don't know you. Father, show us what we must do to be a faithful steward with what you've given us. Teach us how we must pray and love and extend the truth of who you are to this lost and dying world. Give us the strength and the courage to live this out every day and do not allow us to stray from your feet. Where there is one thing we fear more than anything, and that is losing sight of our shepherd. Do not ever allow anything in this world and in our flesh to deter us from being sheep and lambs at your feet, following you faithfully day in and day out until you call us home. Let us run the race with perseverance. Jesus, we ask this in your name, and we know that because you are the good shepherd, we can ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Until next time, this has been Made to Conquer. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family, anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus. Jesus.